grace and peace to all of you, my brother's children, as we come together tonight again in the Ebenezer Church, I am delighted that we've gathered again. We've got two wonderful guests, very good friends of mine for many years, Reverend Dr. Charles Kellum of the New Mount Zion Baptist Church, who is also an educator in the Northampton County school system, and Dr. James Fetterman. I was getting ready to put Reverend in front of that, but I guess I better not. Dr. James Fetterman is a well-established, tenured educator in Accomack County and Somerset County, Maryland, Accomack County, Virginia, and he is now president-elect of the Virginia Education Association. And so let me first say thank you to both of you for being here tonight. And uh, Fetterman, I'm going to call you Fetterman because I can. Dr. Fetterman, no, I'm just playing. Congratulations on a wonderful... Um, job that you've done to get to this point. Um, before we go into what we're going to talk about, kind of tell us how did you arrive to become the president of the whole state of Virginia Education Association? Sure. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been passionate about education for a long time. Um, I started out, you know, teaching and then a vacancy became available as a building rep. And that is the person that is responsible for being like a steward in your school. If there are issues or concerns, highlights, lowlights, they need someone to voice their concerns to, I was that person. Um, and I just started attending meetings and just started being just an advocate, um, not only a voice for educators, but a voice for students. And I uh, just kind of matriculated through the Virginia Education Association and I became um, an NEA director, which is a director of the National Education Association for Virginia. And in that position, I was responsible for making decisions for Virginia at the national level as it relates to children in public education. So from there, I um, ran for the position of vice president and I've been in that position for the last four years. And with that, I'm responsible for um, the budget. I'm responsible for resolutions um, and just basically supporting the president. We have 134 school division, uh, school divisions in Virginia and over 40,000 members. So now as president-elect, I will be responsible for those 134 school divisions across the entire state and our 40,000 employees. That's, that's not only a blessing but it's awesome, and since I'm in my own house, I can say this. I am proud because you are a young African-American male from the eastern shore of Virginia. That, that speaks volumes because so many times the eastern shore is always labeled negatively. I was preaching in the outskirts of Petersburg, and I had a digging there to tell me, oh, the only thing come from the Eastern Shore is chickens and tomatoes. And so it's wonderful to see how God has blessed you to be from the Eastern Shore, to be on the stage that you're currently on. That is truly a blessing, and we pray that God will continue to bless you. How long is this term? So they break it up into two two-year terms. I start my first term officially August the 1st, um, but I'm doing president-elect duties right now. Um, it's, a, it's a smooth transition. It's been a great process. Um, 
Right now, I'm in the process now of putting together committees and commissions that will represent uh, the entire state, and that is putting individuals in place on committees who's going to represent working conditions for our employees and learning conditions for our students. So that's what I'm currently working on. That's really blessed. Dr. Kellum, we don't want to leave you out. Tell us now how long you've been pastoring at Mount Zion. I think you're pretty close you got me beat by a year. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little bit how you came to be um, a, a teacher, ed- instructor, educator. Uh, I've been at Mount Zion 19 years. Um, Teaching-wise, close to 23, 23. Um, actually, teaching-wise, it came up, I was just looking for a different job. I had been working at North and the Growers Produce 16, 17 years, and my pastor actually came by and said, look, they're looking for some substitute teachers. Why don't you apply? I had a degree and everything, and went and applied, and I started substituting. And then uh, Dr. Ashby, he actually got, got me in and got me certified, and it was it been a good journey. Um, dealing with kids, trying to help kids, you know, and um, everything's been going well with the school system thus far. But it's all about the kids, man. You know, you got to want to love kids and got to want to help kids. And you got to want to see them as you were coming up and somebody helped you along the way. And so you don't stay in education this long not wanting to see kids better. And you remember how somebody helped you along the way. So you're always trying to help somebody else's kid along the way. You, know? you also coach. Coach football and coach basketball. Yeah, I've been been doing that well over 10 years. Started out at the elementary level um, doing intramural stuff. And then as I moved up to the middle school, started middle school coaching, and then moved to the high school now and started high school coaching. And that's, that's, that's another tool of helping a kid because that's how I got my degree at St. Paul's College on a football scholarship. I went down a football scholarship, uh, Bill Prince and uh, Luther Turner. And Tony Washington helped me get there at St. Paul's College. They knew the coach. And I played football there for four years. And so when I came back, it was still in my blood. And so when I got a chance to coach and, again, help kids and let them know, you know, you can play a sport. Just because you come from Eastern Shore, don't let nobody blank you out. If, if you put the work in, you can make it. And that's what I try to teach kids when we're doing football or basketball. You put the work in, somebody will see you. You know, don't get caught up with Eastern Shore, nobody see you. They, people will see you. You just got to put the work in. It's evident, uh, Dr. Fetterman, that someone saw you and kept pushing you as well as Dr. Kellum. Tonight, we want to talk uh, in depth about this COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on our school system. Uh, Dr. Kellum, Tell us, if you will, because you were right on the front lines as well as Dr. Fetterman, uh, when the news came that the school was going to close, how how did that make you feel and how were the children and how have things been since? What have you been able to accomplish um, with your children, with your students, if anything? How has this process over these last few weeks been? It was a shock. Because you've heard it on the television, you know. But she didn't think they were going to close the school. 
And when they came across, say the school is closing, you got you to get your stuff and you got to go. No more classes. We got to get these packets together. You got to make sure each kid's got his computer to take home. It was just quick. Boom, boom, boom. And we were just trying to do the best we could to help every child because they said, we don't know when we're coming back. And it was just a hard pill. And then I think we went back that Monday to get some stuff together and make sure we get these kids' numbers. We had to get kids' numbers, cell phone numbers, anything you could to keep in contact with your child. You know, because we was in like in the middle of the third marking period, you know. And so that was it was it was a tough time. It was a rushing time, you know, because a lot of lot, let's face it, a lot of kids don't have internet services, you know. So we got to try to get these kids their work somehow, and we got to try to keep up with these kids, you know, because grades get ready to come out, you know. So it was a rushing time for everybody around there. Dr. Fetterman, what about on the state level? You've been working in it for very, very hard and very heavy. How was the COVID-19 impact on the state level? Sure. So so really and truthfully, it, it really revealed a lot of the inequities from region to region, district to district. Um, so many of the inequities that our students and our families experience on a day-to-day basis, just trying to make ends meet. And as they're trying to make ends meet, now you're adding another layer Where are they going to get their next meal from? Mom and dad, they have to work. So who's going to watch Johnny? So a lot of these struggles have been very real for a very long time. Um, We've had parents who have said, I just can't come to parent conferences because I work. And sometimes the school system would interpret that as they didn't care for their child or for their children. But really and truthfully, they were trying to do what was required to keep their lights on to keep food on the table. And now with the COVID-19, it's like all of these other things still have to happen. And now I've got to find a way to still educate all of those kids at home while trying to feed them. And one of the things we fail to acknowledge is the social and emotional needs of our kids. Our kids have to be healthy mentally before they can learn anything. If they're worrying about whether mom and dad are going to make it, you can't expect them to learn. And these are things that were factors when things were somewhat normal. And I caution people about using the word normal because what was normal for some was not a norm for others. And many of our children who are black and brown, their norm has been defined by someone who doesn't look like them, who has never experienced their struggles or to have been there to celebrate their triumphs. So from the state level, all the way from Southwest, all the way to uh, Northern Virginia, it's huge. You know, there are school systems where everybody in the school has access to internet. And then there are some where children don't even have access to natural light. So this highlighted the inequities that currently exist in Virginia even more magnified. They've always been there. But now you know why Johnny said he couldn't do his homework. Now you know why Johnny said, I don't have anybody to help me. Now you understand why Johnny says that the school lunch that you gave me was just not enough. What do you all think, now that we've been thrust into COVID-19, 
What do you all think could have been done? What pre preparations could have been made, uh, do you think, by the school systems to better prepare for a crisis? Because President Obama uh, warned us a few years ago that a pandemic was coming. And so very few people took advantage of the warning. What could the school systems have done, if anything, to better prepare or the community or the, the governmental figures? Dr. Kellum, I'm going to start with you. Well, when he says that, I think everybody kind of just shrugged it off. Not, not I can't say everybody, but a lot of people just shrugged it off. And they didn't think it was going to really happen. But I think that anything like that, especially in a rural community like we live in, you got to take that right then as a serious thing. Because as Dr. Fetterman just said, our kids a lot of times don't live in a normal situation. You know, so whenever the president like that says something, each division has to take heart to it and put a committee together and say, let's, well, let's work on this. What if something like this happens? Because you never know. Life's always about what ifs. And now look at us. And we're struggling. What do you think? Well, I think we've, we've been in an injustice for a while because whenever there are crises going on in the, in the community, various parts of the state or even the world, education is always the first to be cut and the last to be restored. So with all of the cuts that have already happened, we are still trying to restore things that were cut during the last recession. So now we're, we're, we're continuously playing catch up. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to make sure that we have elected officials in position who really understand children, community, teaching and learning, all of those things go hand in hand. And I say to people all the time that our children are like credit cards. We can pay now or we can pay later. And when we truly invest in the children that live in our communities, we don't have to worry about them coming in our yard, breaking in our house, because they're going to see the value of the impact of having me as their neighbor. But far too often, when you think back to many news series that have gone on locally or on a statewide, we have had people um, really sticking in my mind like cafeteria workers who have lost their jobs, who have been fired for giving a child extra food or for not charging a child for food because that cafeteria manager or that worker knew what was going on in that child's life. You know, so we're learned and, you know, we're taught to seek first to understand in order to be understood. Well, they understood what they were dealing with, but because policy is as such, you got to do things this way, this way. So now that we're in this pandemic, all of the stuff that we used to know as policy, that's no longer our guiding principle because we have an unlevel playing field for so many people. And the students that are doing well and thriving, many of those students were going to do well and thrive whether school was in or whether school was out. But for those kids that were not going to thrive well, what have we identified that we can use as a catalyst to change the trajectory for them in the fall? And one of the things that has happened very strategically is that state officials have said, we will go back to school in the fall. 
They never said September. They never said October. They never said November, but they said in the fall. So we're thinking of things as they have always been, and we will never be the way we were. And one of the things I take away from this COVID-19, as rough as it has been, there have been some good highlights that have come from this. Um, Many kids are now able to actually talk to their parents because there's nowhere to go. Uh, Families are actually having meals together at the table or on the couch. It doesn't matter, but they are together as a family. Um, They're learning to communicate, whereas before it was send a text or send a message, something electronically. People are now having to utilize the skills of humanity, reading, writing, just basic skills to get through. And, you know, this is bad, but we're going to get through it. I think all three of us <clears throat> can agree we grew up in a similar setting, hardworking parents, parents who worked, were disciplined with us. And so a lot of us, the three of us, cannot relate to some of the trauma that our young people are facing now. Fetterman, you know, having been in and out of my mother's home, there were certain things that I just didn't, didn't face. I was a privileged child. Uh, but my heart goes out to children, seriously, who are trying to make it, who want to make it. And it's not because the parents don't want to push them. They may not know how, or they may not have the resources or the stability to do so. And I guess I'm saying that as a segue to this next question. Um, I'm going to the religious, the church side. Dr. Callum, what can the church, because we're in, and I don't know if Adam just said don't use, not to use, be careful with the word normal, but we're moving or we're transitioning. I'm writing right now a reentry plan for my church. What can the church do to help make our children's lives better? Because here's what I'm trying to say. Before we can talk about science, math, history, you said it best a few moments ago, our children's lives have to be better. What can the church put into place? What, what, what ideas do you have that we as a church, universal, can do to make our children's lives better so that when everything goes back to normal or goes back to whatever this new way shall be, they'll have a better chance at success. One of the things that I try to do um, whenever I see any of, my, any of the people of the church is try to find out how they're doing. How's the household doing? How are your kids doing? What's going on? I just try to basically have a conversation with them to see what do they need, if they need anything. Because you got to find out basically from the parents first what's going on. Are you guys okay? You know? Do you need paper? Do you need pencil? Do you need a computer? What do you need? Because we have to interact with the parents to get them on. Some parents don't want to tell you, you know, because of whatever. They don't want to tell you. They just want to come to church, just get a word of hope and go back. But I try to find out, I try to talk and try to ask different questions about what's going on because the kid's going to suffer. Someone along the line, the kid's going to suffer. So if you don't try to find out from the parents, get them to open up to you. 
You know, then sometimes the kids will say something to you. If you got a good report, the kids will say something to you. A pastor, you know, do you have an extra pencil, some extra ink pens? Pastor, do you have any paper or something like that? They'll say something to you. So you basically got to kind of dig sometime and just got to be transparent and ask them what's going on, you know. Fatima, you, you work in the church. You're a trustee. You're a minister of music. You've been in and around the church several years. What do you say to that question? I, I would say that we have to transition away from, from yes and no questions. So every church needs to get rid of asking questions that require just a yes or no. Because children and parents don't like for anybody else to know how bad things really are. So if you ask a child, how is school going? They're going to say, good. If you ask a child, um, did you have a good day? They're going to say, yes, because they don't want to expand upon why their day was bad. So questioning is everything. So with the things that I just said, something along these lines, so tell me about something in your day that made you feel good. They're going to have to think about it and they can't say yes or no. You're asking for something greater than that. And for our church, we have to create an environment of acceptance. No matter what you bring to the table, none of us are perfect and all of us can change for the better if given the right situation. So I believe sometimes we have to remove a lot of the formality. So for example, now COVID-19 states that when churches come back to what the new normal will be, we should not be passing out bulletins anymore. Well, because we're not pulling, you know, passing out bulletins, we're not scripted. So it's just an organic conversation and an organic flow that you can sit here and look out and see the needs of your people just based upon their expressions. And you don't have to call them out in front of everybody, but you know that when service is over or when there is a minute that you can follow up to have those tough conversations. What can I do to help? How can I help? And what is weird and very strange is before all of this happened, many churches were struggling financially. Many churches were struggling financially. And now we find that in this situation, many churches are making it. And they're making it because people are coming together as what a family should be, as what a team should be, as what togetherness really signifies. So all is not bad from COVID-19. It's just, what are we going to pick from this to create what the next chapter of living, worship, religion is really about. You know, we should have always been washing our hands thoroughly. We should have always been staying away from people when we were sick. But because life was as such, we pressed through and we try to make it and we thank God that we got through. But now we can't err on the side of just trying to make it because so much is at stake because you don't know now who is sick. Who's not sick? What are you subjecting yourself and others to if you do things the way you've always done? So there's a lot that we can take from this, but I think we need to realize the, the, the simplicity 
that we have embraced with having shorter services outside in different environments, God is everywhere. So if you're in the parking lot or in the building, the great work that you do, it will spread. Um, I know for our church specifically, we have had um, more diversity in our parking lot than ever before. Um, people that don't look like us, white people, Hispanic people, people just walking their dogs will just come up and worship. That's what fellowship is. That's what family is. That's what togetherness is. And that is really the example of what breaks barriers, togetherness. I think, and not to get so much on the church, but for us, it, it's, a, it's been a blessing. And I know someone in Facebook land is going to, going to run me across the coals for this but COVID-19 in some ways has been a blessing to us because it has made us deal with people that we would not normally deal with in church for example I've been in this church 18 years I can promise you that if someone came in this church with a dog on a leash that would pose a problem for some of my members. Some of them probably watching right now. But the same person walking by Sunday morning at 12.30 will come up with their dog, stand, watch the service, join in, participate, fellowship. Nothing is said. Everything's fine. Not saying that you should be allowed to bring dogs into church, but we should be to a point, if we are really Christians, to accept whomsoever will that comes. And that also has to do with our children. So many times in church, I've found this to be since I've been pastoring, and Dr. Kellum, you may can attest to this. Some of our young people don't feel accepted because they're not the pastor's child. They're not the trustee's grandchild. They're not the minister of music's nephew that comes home every summer and stays with him or her. And so they feel like they're an outcast because they don't dress the same, they don't look the same, or their parents don't drive the same car as the other children's parents. And I think the church, if we're going to really reach the children or the young people or people in general, we've got to stop stereotyping people and making them feel like they're not welcome if we're going to really reach. Now, as we, as we shift gears to move on, I've heard both of you talk about the fall. You didn't give us a time. You didn't give us September 4th. You didn't give us September 6th. You didn't give us the day after Labor Day. And I'm not going to put neither one of you on the spot. But I want to ask, ask it this way. What do you all see post-COVID-19 for the education of our children? Well, I see more at home. Um, I see we're going to be at home more. Teachers are going to have to, per se, come out of the box. And it's going to be online learning a whole lot. That's, that's what kind of what I see. There may be some classroom. Um, I don't think from what just I see, nobody told me anything that we're going to be able to go every day all together. We may, some kids, we may have to come to school with masks on, starting off. Um, I just don't see us going back and just assembling together like we used to. What about sports? Uh, I got a 
for the VHSL all day about football, we can't have any summer practices right now. Nothing. So it's going to be close for football because, as you know, football is one of those sports you got to practice. You got to weight lift. And if you get so far into the season, especially high school, because of the injuries, man, you know, you can't just put a kid out there with no practice and some kids go out there don't know stances. Um, right now, we can't do anything. And usually by now, we're trying to lift weights and everything now, but we can't do anything t- until they let us know what's going on. And maybe Dr. Federman can tell me more, but I got that letter just the other day for the VHSL. We can't do anything. Federman, what do you see? And y'all have to excuse us because that's just how we talk each other. We call each other by last name. Uh, what do you see uh, post-COVID-19 for the education of our children? Well, to just piggyback off of what Dr. Kellum said, I, I don't see, um, and this is James Fetterman speaking as an individual, not as president-elect right now. Um, I see sports, um, any extracurricular activity as no more. And the reason why I say it will not happen is because when you follow the guidelines that have been set by the uh, Center for Disease Control and with all aspects and respect for social distancing, um, football, cheerleading, basketball, all of those sports, there is an exchange of droplets or bodily fluids just because of the natural um, perspiring. So... When we talk about all those things like contagions and all those things that go with the virus, it, it, it just can't be. It can't be. And when we go back, we have to practice social distancing. So when you come in contact with the bodily fluid, they're not going to call a timeout to allow me to go and wash my hands for 20 seconds and sing happy birthday twice before I come back on the, on the court. So it, it's things as we knew it will never be anymore. It's and if you follow time and transition, there is a lot of esports going on now, electronic sports. That's going to become a part of the new norm. Um, and when you just think about all of the the liabilities of having practice and having games at schools and all of those kinds of things, it's too much of a liability for the school to say we're going to try it in spite of. Nobody's going to take that chance because if it happens to one person and somebody gets sick, somebody ultimately dies from it and they can trace it back to it happened at the school. You know, the the, the law states there's a right to know and a need to know and foreseeable dangers. These are foreseeable dangers because you don't know who's exposed to what. We just don't know. So we are going to have to make sure that our children wear masks. When, when uh, they talk about social distancing, um, the infrastructure of our school, it doesn't really allow us to be six feet apart and still have a class of 20 or 30. Or in the cafeteria. Or in the cafeteria. Um, you know, when we talk about the little people, they're so innocent. They don't know. So when they walk in in the morning and give you a hug and their nose is running, they don't know what's at stake. So there's no more crisscross applesauce and heels to toes when you're walking for single file lines. All of those things are disrupted. And as those things are disrupted, we've got to learn how to reestablish what a routine or protocol really looks like. Virtual school. 
What do you all think about virtual school? I'm, I'm discouraged. Um, I'm zoomed out. I'm zoomed out. I am too. Uh, you know, there are days, this, this virtual stuff, it's harder than going to work. Sometimes I am on four, five, six, and seven Zoom calls a day. And it's, it's too much. And the reason why I say it's too much is because I think the powers that be are trying to justify our existence or trying to justify the rationale for continuing to pay me my salary. And as a result, stuff is just piled on, piled on. And some of it is very meaningful, but for, mo for the most part, it's just time consuming. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, what can we really say was accomplished? What can we really say was made better? What can we really say that we did to help that family across the street that didn't have lights before COVID-19, that now have no lights and no food during COVID-19? So it's really going to force us to, you know, as the songwriter said, take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently. Uh, that's really what it is. Um, and, and our children, our children need us. Our children need their educators. They need their church. They need their community. Because, you know, way back long time ago, it said it takes a village to raise, raise a child. Well, now we're in that village and it's taking all of us. Look at the people just passing out food. Look at the people just giving. It's going to require a lot. Dr. Kellum, what do you think about virtual school? It is, it is tough on everybody. Teachers, especially because you don't know who's watching you. A lot of times, you really don't. And as I say, Eastern Shore has, don't have the ability to have internet everywhere for these kids. So many, so many places, it's still circling. That's right. You all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, I see you looking. You can laugh <laughs> yeah, if you want that's to. That's right. Just do your finger like that tonight. Yeah. Do your yeah. finger like that. You know what that's I'm talking right. about. So Some of y'all probably circling now while you while that's you right. watching us. Or you get to a certain spot, you got to go over this way and, and, and let it hit over this way. It's it's really tough. And like Dr. Phillips said, it takes up time. It is time. It's, it, it's time for you to get a whole lot of stuff together to try to present it. And you don't know whether or not they get it or not. You know, because they don't because of the Eastern Shore, especially we don't have the access. That's the main thing right there. My fear for virtual school is the parent that means well when they sit down to help their child with the schoolwork. They mean well, but they may not have the ability to understand what that child is being required to do at that moment. And so they mean well, but they make matters worse. And so with virtual school, how will my son, my daughter, my grandchild, and I'm 90, and I'm raising these two grandchildren, and I cannot really comprehend internet, iPad. I'm 91. How will my grandchildren that live with me at 91 be able to successfully complete the assignments that you sent home? And so that is a fear that I have for our children because what you all fail to realize, everybody wasn't raised in a house where the mother was a school teacher like me. 
Everybody wasn't raised in a home with a grandfather like Dr. Kellum and a grandmother who made them do. Everybody did not have mentors like Dr. Fetterman to push and propel them to be who they are today. And so my heart goes out to that nucleus category of children who did not ask for the situation but were thrust into the situation. And so now, and I'm not going to put you all on the spot with that, something needs to be said, something needs to be done. A Zoom conference, if you will, needs to be held to address how will you instruct, how will you educate, how will you help that particular category. And let me say this because I'm home. It is just as many Caucasian children in that category as it is brown and black children. Amen. Um, I want to thank both of you tonight. We could go on and on. I want to thank both of you for your sacrifice of time. Dr. Kellum, I want to thank you uh, for how you have sacrificed and worked with the children in Northampton County. And Dr. Fetterman, I am so super proud and I applaud you. We come a long way from South Academy School. <laughs> I was long-term and you were teaching and we was in those mobile units and Murray White was looking out for both mm -hmm. of us. Yes. And then you'd come to Mama's and eat dinner and we'll lead the rest of the story to the story. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> but congratulations. Um, I wish you and pray that you have much success and that you have much safety as you travel the length and breadth of this commonwealth representing not only the Virginia Education Association, but representing the Eastern Shore. And I, I say this, I said it in the beginning, I'm saying it in the end, uh, it does my heart good to see a young African-American male, I'm going to say it again, young African-American male in a position such as this. Because it says a couple of things. One, it says that if he did it, somebody else can do it. That's the first thing. And the second thing it says, to all of the enemies of black men, all of us are not bad. There are some being educated. There are some working. There are some trying their best to be successful. And Dr. Fetterman has a child graduating this year. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I do want to just highlight, um, our assistant superintendent, Dr. Hall, Dr. Rhonda Hall, um, phenomenal lady, phenomenal educator. And, and I am thankful for her being our leader um, for public instruction during this time. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm very happy about is, is meeting our students where they are. And, you know, the establishment of no new learning that our students are just kind of, you know, reviewing skills and concepts that have been taught. And that allows learning to happen more organically. And it also allows the students to gain some sort of confidence about learning versus throwing a new skill or concept that they've never been taught or introduced and expecting them to learn. And, and she gets it. And she has gone through exhaustive measures to ensure that the students in Accomack County, that the um, educators in Accomack County 
are having the skills and tools to do what needs to be done for our students because right is just the right thing to do. And I know from my work on the state level that that's not happening everywhere. So I commend our assistant superintendent, Dr. Hall, for the work that she's doing. And it's great. And it highlights the direction that ACAMAC can be rural, but we can be an example for what's right for other school divisions across this great commonwealth. I second that, and not only with the education and Dr., what Dr. Hall is doing, phenomenal educator, but even in our churches, so many times the Eastern Shore, the religious sector of the Eastern Shore is looked at as rural, and uh, Dr. Fetterman not being uh, of the standard of some other areas off of the shore. And so it's good that we have now people representing the Eastern Shore on a state level, proving to the rest of the Commonwealth that there are more things going on on the Eastern Shore than just farming, fishing, and hunting. And so it's nothing wrong with farming, nothing wrong with fishing, nothing wrong with, I love all three. But it's good that we now have persons of color and of other colors that are able to represent us and represent us well. And so we are grateful uh, for that. Dr. Kellum, I'm going to close with you um, kind of getting away from the education just a tad. What advice do you have for pastors who are now beginning, as I am, uh, planning reentry plans or reopening plans? I don't like to use the word reopen because the church has never been closed. Um, but reentry plan. What advice do you have, pastoring a fairly large congregation, uh, having been in and out of smaller congregations? What advice do you give pastors after this conversation tonight, preparing to go back into their sanctuaries, preparing to begin ministries uh, under the cloud of a post-COVID nineteen culture? What what do you what do you what do you say to us? One of the things I think needs to be thought about basically is when you come inside, follow the guidelines that they're giving us with your building because we have not been in the building. So make sure you do what's right for the building. Uh, whether you're going to hire somebody to clean your building or you're going to get together and clean it and go by the guidelines because you want people to be safe. You want them to feel like they're safe when they come in the building. So you got to make sure your building is, is done right. With your people, you got to educate your people about things are not going to be like it used to be. We've been outside. We've had great success outside. So we see now when we come inside, we don't want to go back to the old way, the usual stuff. We've been doing a great job outside. My, uh, New Mount Zion folk love outside. You know, people have been coming. And like Dr. Federman was saying, people have been coming off the street, just stopping and everything. You want that same flow when you come inside. One of the things that I'm going to do, those good Sundays, I'm going to be outside. I'm not going to be inside all the time. Those good Sundays, even in the wintertime, if you catch a good Sunday, be outside. You know, educate your people in that way too. That, Like Dr. Federman was saying a while ago, that's something that fellowship, it can be both ways, inside and outside. So give your folk a little bit of both, a little bit of both, because it's been working good, you know. And, you know, and, and the last part of it, make sure your people, the best you can, are staying prayerful. Staying prayerful. 
you know, and asking God to heal the land. Heal the land, asking God to heal school systems, you know, watch out for our children. You know, these are the things that's going to bring us back together, you know, from the church perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for your attention tonight and you tuning in. Dr. Fetterman, President-elect Fetterman, thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, Dr. Charles Kellum, uh, thank you, sir. And uh, thank you both for your friendship and your time tonight. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me close. We're going to close with prayer, but let me close by just encouraging you uh, parents, because we've talked about education. Those of you who are parents and grandparents, I know this is a difficult time. I know this is a time that you did not plan for. This is a time that you were not expecting. But I want you to understand that God is still with you. He's still able, and he still is in the providing business. You have an obligation to your children, to your grandchildren, to first love them. Yeah, love them. Love them in the position, in the area where they're in unconditionally. Now, in that love, you're going to have to give tough love. Your children just can't sit around doing this time, this downtime, if you will. They just can't sit around and not have nothing to do. PlayStation's good. I love it. I play it every night just about if I can. Uh... Fatima, he can't play video games. He doesn't know nothing like that. Uh, but give them some chores to do. If, if they can't get any schoolwork or the schoolwork's not available, find something instructional for them to do. If it's no more than read a book and then after they've read a chapter, if you can only stay awake, stay awake rather long enough to... to, to to let them read a chapter. Then they come in your bedroom and you have them discuss that chapter, explain that chapter. Give them, if they're smaller children, have them spell some words or do some math problems. Do something with your children and your grandchildren to keep them act, act, active, to keep them academically charged. Because when the time comes, and the time is gonna come, now we don't know whether it's gonna be virtual whether it's going to be old school, if you will, but the time is going to come when our children shall be educated again. You want them to still be fresh, want them to still be on top. And so to the children that may be sitting watching tonight, don't take this as a time off. Take it as a time of preparation. Prepare yourselves for your future. Just yesterday, Dr. Fetterman and I were in my mother's kitchen eating and laughing and talking about stuff that we ain't going to talk to y'all about tonight. And we were having a good time. We were young. We were slim and trim. And Fetterman had hair. <laughs> and now we are wide and older and slower. Life goes by fast. Don't let life pass you by. Thank you tonight. We're going to close out in prayer. Dr. Callum, I'm going to ask you, in spite of you being a Raiders fan, I'm going to ask you tonight. Oh, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. 
Yeah, lost. <laughs> Include specify Facebook uh, Live. Oh, we're going lost. Vegas. Lost. We want you to lead us in prayer and pray for our children, for our parents, for our churches. Pray for Dr. Fetterman in this this uh, position that the Lord has has endowed him with, and whatever the Lord leads you tonight. Thank y'all so much. Dr. Kellum is going to close us out in prayer. Let us pray. Merciful God, we thank you now for these golden moments. You know, God, we first of all thank you for just blessing us with Pastor Bunting, who had a vision to have this event on tonight. So we ask you, oh God, to bless him in more ways that he can ever imagine. Then, oh God, we move to Dr. Fetterman, and we thank you for putting him in this position that he can help teachers and children and others on his pathway. So bless him, oh God, as he travels up and down the road to different parts of the state of Virginia to do the work you have assigned them to do. Put a hedge around him and keep him safe in the name of Jesus. And then, oh God, we pray for our entire school system over the state of Virginia. And, oh God, we just ask that you would give us leaders that would lead us and direct us and give us what we need. Bless the teachers, oh God, that's trying their best to do what's right for their children, to make sure their children get what they need to pass the courses and to learn. Then we pray for our parents, oh God, who's now been put in a position to help these children and get them through and make it through, even though they have to go to work and some have to do other things, but they're still trying to help their children. Then, oh God, we pray for every child, every child that's under the sound of my voice and that can't hear my voice. We ask that you would drop your grace and your mercy on our children, God, because they're going through some things right now that they've never been through before. But, oh God, we know if you would just put your hands on them, corral them up, and let them know if they put foot forward that you'll be right there with them. So, God, bless our children, God. Give them what they need and let them know that adults are here to help them. Reach out for the help so they get care and succeed. God, we're going to give you glory. And we're going to give you praise. And we're going to call it all done. In the name of Jesus to Christ, we pray. Let us all say amen and amen. 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 Thank you tonight. Next Wednesday, we will be back again. And our topic next week will be COVID-19 and the impact on the elderly. I'm going to have a very special guest. I'm still working on negotiating this guest to be here with us. And so we solicit your prayers as I continue to do that. Thank you so much. God bless your hearts. Good night.